Episode 345, The Rant, Jake Ellis, head honcho of Long Island basketball and head coach of the boys varsity basketball team at St. John the Baptist. First off, my apologies to Jake. We recorded a few months before the pandemic, in the throw of it, and in the throw of it again. But this time, in person, we chop it up at the chop shop to discuss his COVID experience, how he balances work, coaching, and life, and what he expects for the upcoming season. All that and more, my conversation with Coach Ellis, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Long Island Legends U, the premier youth flag football league on Long Island. Calling all ages from 4 under to 18 and under, both boys and girls. Sign up as a team or a free agent. Expect pictures, social media posts, full game weekly highlight videos, and much, much more. Fall season for 2021 is rapidly approaching. Sign up today. To register, visit legendsu.com or follow us on Instagram at LILegendsU. Legends are not born, they are created. The Rant has been brought to you by the Island Garden, located at 45 Cherry Valley Avenue, West Hempstead, New York. Long Island. Enjoy three basketball courts with various camps, clinics, leagues, and the biggest AAU outfit in the nation, the Long Island Lightning. For more information to find out how you can get on the court, contact Tom at islandgarden.com. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph DeRef. I'm with a super special guest, part three that has never been released. So I just want to apologize first and foremost to this man that uh, came all the way to the chop shop. Welcome, by the way. Um, I have the uh, head coach of the boys varsity basketball team at St. John the Baptist, Go Cougars. He's wearing this very disrespectfully in my, in my house, but... I have to represent. It's my man right here. I have here. to represent. Coach Jake Ellis, how are you, my friend? What's up, Ralph? How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm good, man. So... Uh, we were just talking off air about how I'm completely in the throes of, of volleyball and you have your upcoming season and we're going to, we're going to publish this today. So we just got to make sure Whatever. that I'm patiently <laughs> waiting. It's all right. I know like uh, you'll have like the, the, the postmortem tapes mm. once, once I'm gone, you'll have all the, uh, the uncovered tapes that you can let out. <laughs> so, you know, I think it was about three weeks ago when we had like this AAU tournament that was going on um, at the, at the Jewish Y in where were we great neck great neck and it was a crazy event i didn't even realize it was going to be crazy and you know i saw I, i've never seen you in this situation where you were just like kind of organizing the whole thing as well as coaching and then just going back and forth with trying to figure out what, what was that experience like especially like during the pandemic and first time that you're having one of these things yeah i mean that's what i do um i own besides coaching at saint john the baptist i own i own my own business long island basketball and um I've been hosting leagues, faith-based leagues, primarily Jewish-based leagues since uh, 2015 now. So, you know, um, a lot of the event coordination comes in the planning, as you know. Mm -hmm. You know, you ran that great tournament a couple months ago. Um, but 
if you prep it right um, and you have the right people involved, it kind of just, you know, it runs itself. It's yeah. smooth, you know. Refs on time, coaches on time, kids are there. Great, let's play a game. That's yeah. what everybody's here to do. And that also starts from the top. And, you know, I, I just found it interesting. Every time I see that now, it kind of gives me post-traumatic syndrome because I, I experienced that with my tournament. And I'm going to tell you right now, full disclosure, I had no idea what I was doing. But I hit a grand slam the first time, which was crazy because I feel like it kind of changed the trajectory of, like, how people perceive me now. I mean, I was always respected before, but... I really think that when that went off and it went successfully, like it really kind of put me on the map. But, you know, going back to that time and we'll go back to late January when they said high risk sports were involved. You started your season and then my tournament happened. Um, what was that like? Just that whole coronavirus season uh, for you, especially like in the beginning, because I remember I had your assistant coach on on the show, Coach Blackford, and he was telling me how. Around this time, and we're taping this on September 22nd, around that time last year in 2020, you would have practice and maybe some kid would be in quarantine and then maybe you'd take off. So it was always intermittent. That must have been very difficult to all of a sudden go kind of dormant and maybe picking your spots, maybe going this week and then maybe having a bye week and then all of a sudden saying, we're starting our season February, whatever, and we're going to have 10 games and this is what it is. Yeah, That's, That must have been a crazy transition for you. In comparison to what was going on in the world, you know, that's how I sometimes try to look at things. Um, it was a blessing to be on the court. So uh, we were all learning day by day what we were going to do and how we were going to go about things and um, new protocols and things like that. So, um, you know, as, as time, the first thing we wanted to just really do with the kids when we sat down was just go over the rules. This is what is expected of the state and this is what we're supposed to be doing with masks and this is when we're supposed to be testing and things of that nature so it was very important for us to go over all of that and then I think the second part of it was um, the gratitude part of like being back to some semblance of normalcy mm. January was what 10 months into the pandemic already right. so you know people kids are noticeably affected and it was good to get a lot of them back on the court because you know Basketball, sports in general, volleyball, whatever. It's a good outlet for a lot of kids to not be, you know, have something to do. That's why I think athletes, especially college athletes coming from a college coaching background, are the most successful people in the world because they're able to maintain the balance of going to class and having to communicate with one of their coaches as to what their schedule is and how to construct their schedule in order to be able to make it to practice Oh, and also, by the way, having to hang out with your girlfriend and chill with your friends right. and watch the game and do your homework. So being an athlete learns that stuff. That's why I think athletes are the most successful people in the world. Mm. Um, so, you know, uh, we adjusted. They adjusted. They adjusted very well. Aside from all of those uh, you know, house cleaning things that you had to take care of, um, when it came to competing now, now, like all bets are off, you are you are back into it. What was that like? Just, I guess, getting that thrill again, right? Because at first, I know in the pandemic, I wasn't even thinking about reffing because it's it just like, who, who knows when it's going to come back? But all of us, I remember when I, when I first went back on the court, I was a little confused. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I, just, I just didn't do it for so long. So it's right. so crazy to go from zero to all of a sudden go 300%. And you know, it's like, and, and I saw this in my tournament, everyone was just so brimming 
foaming at the mouth to just play. That must have been crazy to get all the butterflies and the kinks out in the beginning. It, what was that first it, game like? It, uh, leading up, it was it was it felt weird. Like you don't know what's going on. Um, and I, the first guy I see walk in was John Grease. So I, you know, with refs all over the over the years, you have funny relationships. It goes back and forth. You argue, shake hands. You're good. You're bad for whatever reason or another. But I saw John Grease, and you know there was a feeling of like. Like, John, it's really good to see you, man. It's good to be out here. You <laughs> it's, know, it's like, good that I get to yell at you. We again. hadn't even crossed pads on the call yet, but it was just like, you know mm. what? I'm so happy to be out here and see you guys and, and see the kids out here. So, um, you know, of course, butterflies. But, um, you know, I like to think that if you don't have them, you don't care. So it was, you know, I, yeah, I was nervous going into it and how it would look. And but but. St. John the Baptist, uh, Ralph Dalton, they, they did a very good job of keeping the kids safe. So I got to say, trainers and everything are very involved, uh, social distancing and masking. So yeah, knock on wood, we had an all right year. Yeah, listen, absolutely. I had, a, I had a couple of girls games that year, and I also had some baseball games. So I always felt completely safe when I was in the confines of St. John the Baptist. Now, I guess just checking on you coach to coach, you know, I'm on my 22nd season. You're on your third season, right? Fourth. Fourth yeah. Now and now it's going into going fourth. Into so, fourth. you know, I, I just want to see just the timeline because, you know, we talked about off air how when we talk about building a program, sometimes people don't have the discipline and the persistence to stay long enough to see the fruits of their labor because it's really hard. I mean, listen, I'll tell you right now, it took me 11 years to finally break through to finally get to, you know, and, and I've been to the finals before that, but it was kind of like a fluke. They, the, the first year that I felt like, all right, from wire to wire, we're really good. We're going to compete for the championship. I haven't had that feeling up until like season 11, right? A lot of people don't have that type of stamina to stay there. Um, and you're building a program and you're sticking to it. And you could see that things are starting to turn around. You went from, you know, having a losing record to now five and five. And that's got to be a jarring experience, especially when you've been, successful coach on the college level and then trying to translate that to the high school level but you know it's not there's a lot of things especially in a private school there's so many different variables that go through it whether kids are going to come to the school you know who's going to come back all these different things with the chemistry but you know just talk about from your first season now going to your fourth season how much have you developed and where do you think you are with the timeline do you think you're ahead of schedule on schedule or a little behind schedule? I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that thinks I'm never on schedule. Mm. So I'm constant. I don't think I'll ever get to your 11th year. I think I'll always be like, uh, we got a lot of work to do right now, guys. I don't know if we're there yet. So I've got on paper a very good team this year. But again, you know, it's like you got to go out and play games. Uh, I always tell my kids, I'm like, look, uh, the Avengers have Thanos and uh, and Loki <laughs> constantly throwing their best at them, you know. So um, you, you, you got to be ready for it. But you're absolutely right about just, you know, um, seeing the fruits of your labor go through because in the beginning it takes a lot of work. You've got to be everywhere. You've got to constantly show your face in prospective students' eyes and of current students' eyes, because ultimately those, those are the kids that are gonna vouch for you. Like, this is what Coach Ellis did. This is where Coach Ellis was. Um, this is what I could say about him. So, you know, when you can go get past that first hurdle, I think, of constantly being there, and guess what? Despite all your efforts, you're probably still gonna get your butt kicked in the yes. first few years. Mm -hmm. If you can withstand those two, 
you know, storms coming together at once. And then once things open up and then, yeah, like hopefully the program starts to turn around. Hopefully I just ask to compete. I just want to compete. You know, yeah. I want to compete on a very high level. I want to book. I want to book the best games for us. You know, I don't want to look for the local public school that I think we could beat. I want to go out to the city and play the Malloys of the world and the Hayes and who we have on the schedule this Hayes year. Hayes is so, very far from St. John the Baptist. I want to go play them. <laughs> I want to go play them because guess what? Everybody knows about that, yeah. right? And ultimately, that's what I think the most important part of my job is, is not my record. But mm. like you said, like the number you said to me, 230 girls over the course of 20 years. Uh, getting into college that, oh, yeah. that's a that's the goal mm -hmm. right i i've said to my ad um if we're oh and 24 but have five scholarship athletes that's a good year yeah that's a that's successful a good, thing. that's a successful year this is how i know my team is like the best ever so there was a, a college coach that came to our game at sacred heart you know how many girls she was looking at on my roster she was looking at seven girls seven Seven. That's like, you know, Kellenberg, the college version of it. High but tide raises all ships, right? What's really crazy is that I can't believe how far it's gotten. And funny that you should say that you feel like you're always behind schedule. We're 3-0 and right now. We already won a tournament. We're already at the semifinals of another tournament. We're going to compete on Saturday for another tournament. But we're still not satisfied. What's crazy is like there hasn't been, Sick. especially like the last four years, we've been 13-1 or undefeated. And we're still upset. And it's always like a, joy, a, a, a sigh of relief when we win the championship because we just, I, I feel like we're never good enough. Why, why do I feel that way? Is that just like a coach's I, it, chip on our shoulder? My, my wife said, said to me yesterday, she said, if I didn't have a calendar, I would know what time of the year it is because of the way you communicate with me, the way you talk. Because I go through this thing in about September, October, where I'm like, oh, basketball is just driving me crazy. And she's like, because in the summer, I'm like, I can't wait for ball to start. I can't wait for basketball to start. And then, you know, we're into basketball and you start having to deal with all the stuff that comes with dealing with basketball, which is not, trust me, the X's and O's, as you know, are a very small part of it. Um, but when you start having to deal with all that, she's like, uh, I, you know, basketball season's around. I, mm. I know it just because of the way um, I get. But, I mean, if I was ever in the um, fortunate place to win a championship I, I i would think that i would i would hope that i'd enjoy it for a little bit but i think like the next day i'd be like all right how do we how do we do this again? oh yeah listen it's it's gonna you're gonna basically feel like this you're gonna say okay we won the championship then you're gonna go to states it's endless man and you're gonna it's go through that day. and you're gonna be like wow we're not that good yeah. and then you're gonna break through in states yeah. then you're gonna get to federations and you're like oh we're, we're not that good so it's like an uh, endless cycle of getting your ass kicked <laughs> you know what it's it's a it's a comparison of what i what i say to my kids because um you know, maybe you're the best player on this team. You're gonna you're gonna dog the drill because you're the best player on this team. Mm. You don't you want to be the best player in the conference, state perhaps, you know, region. Like why why limit right? Why limit? But I, I think that's kind of like a sick a sick part of being very competitive. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. I, th I think it's always kind of like you're not you're not as good as you think you are. Oh. But it's kind of like a, a, a psychological game where you're saying. Um, Let's, let's have that chip on your shoulder so that way you can perform the best you can. So it's always like a push and pull. And I know you're in a very similar situation now. In comparison to 2020 versus 2021, you know, I think since April, ever since they got the vaccines more prevalent on top of the mass uh, going away, now we're in like this very weird place. But in comparison to 2020 versus 2021, I'm sure that your team has gotten together a lot more. Did you have a summer camp and were you going through leagues with your team? Yeah, we were able, we skipped 2020 with our with our annual summer camp at St. John the Baptist. 
we kicked back off this year with a lot of limitations. Um, we were normally my basketball camp has like a hundred. 20 something kids for that one week which you you came and lectured at one time um this year we were limited to half of that so i had 60 kids at camp this year um workouts and things like that i always just followed whatever the cdc guidelines were okay we're good to play outside all right then we're gonna go do stuff outside Mm. we'll work as a team um okay now we can come back inside and wear masks okay we'll be back inside wearing masks so Really, that part of stuff is so um, out of my wheelhouse right. that I could only just follow the advice of experts on yeah. it. We, we had a conversation earlier in the season when we first had tryouts. The athletic director came to all the coaches and was like, if we got to wear our, pa- our pants backwards inside out and we got to wear a mask on our head yeah. and wear it as a chin strap on top of them, like, just do it. Just, just do it. Don't you, want, don't you want it? Don't just you want to do what it? the rule is. So, I try to employ the kids and let them know, like, this is a very special and this could be fleeting, right? So, you know, I was telling you before that we had a case and then we had somebody in quarantine. You don't realize all the domino effects of, of how that handles. Like, imagine if you're quarantined and then now, t- now Tim has to get the helm. Like, now he has to make arrangements because he wasn't anticipating that going to be. But just thinking about all those changes, you have a big change in your life. Personally, you just had another kid. So now you have two. Um, what's that like and, and how have you been able to get sleep and then juggle everything that you, all the other responsibilities that you have? Schedules, man. Schedule. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta set up schedules. You realize as a parent, right? Like, um, and, and a big part of that schedule is making sure you're, you're home for your kids. Um, I've read, I've read and heard too many burnout stories that affected families and things like that. And I never, you know, that's something I, I never want to be a statistic of. So, you know, I got to make sure that you're there for your kids and your family as much as possible. Mm. Um, and then you've got your other family that you've got to be there for, you know, your basketball family. So as long as you're allocating time and figuring out, I mean, fortunately, as I've seen with you, my son's at an age where, like, he can come with me to a lot of this stuff. So he's starting to absorb basketball. I'm loving seeing it in him. You know, I'm sure you, you know the feeling. Yes. Um, my, my daughter was born on, I, I like to say she was born on Kobe Day, uh, August 24th. So, um, you know, I'm hoping she follows the same trajectory and kind of likes basketball as much as my son does maybe mm. one day. Yeah, listen, yeah. it's meant to be. I think that if they kind of just see you, coach, you don't really have to persuade them just through osmosis. Like, I feel like my Ooh, son's yeah. going to be an NBA ref <laughs> at this point. But I, I hope that he has, like, some stint where he's playing, and I probably should get on the ball with that. But, you know, I, I just, I'm an Asian person, so... My parents were always like, play the violin. Maybe you could play basketball after you're done. I just don't want to, you know, impose right. what I think he should be doing. Absolutely. So I, I'm always really cognizant of that agree. as a parent. But 100% agree. with all those changes, you know, going back to the beginning of the pandemic and, and going now, how's your family holding up with everything? Um, and what do you think you learned about yourself during this whole, you know, crazy time of pause and then opening and then closing and then mandates and then vaccines and now I just, I don't know, I don't know where we're at with the pandemic because it's, it felt like it's, we're just, it's going to run its course. We're going to just try to figure it out. And as you said, off air, we're just going to have to learn how to live with it. But yeah. how were you holding up with all of it? And what do you think you learned about yourself? Uh, okay. You know, um, got hit with it pretty directly early. Um, oh, lost, you had it? Lost my father to oh. it. My father had it and was one of the, in early April, got it, spent two weeks in the hospital was kind of going through it on the this phone. April or last April? last April when you know the right. hospitals were jammed and he's like you, you don't understand what this place looks like and 
you know, then having to do the FaceTime thing and the last FaceTime thing and then having to, you know, all the all the stuff that comes with that. But um, you, you, you learn to persevere, man. You know, life life hands you lemons. You got to figure out what to do, right? Yeah. You can't you can't quit. You got a lot of people that um, are probably depending on you to be there for them. I have two younger brothers. I've got my kids now, um, my wife, you know, like everybody's affected by things, right? So like just try to, uh, my whole philosophy is really, I'm very selfless. I I try to be there for people as much as possible. So Mm. perseverance and figuring out how to, how to climb through this shit, right? With, with the loss of your father at that time, I'm sure that it was very heightened of how you felt about the coronavirus, staying safe and, and, you know, just protecting the rest of your family. Do you feel like that has changed over time with yourself as the pandemic has been dragging along with the advent of vaccines and then with the mass mandates, do you feel like you're you're more in a safer space or do you feel like you're still on edge because you lost a, a loved one? There's a balance. There's definitely a balance. You, you got to be on edge. You got to be you got to be on edge because you got to be sharp and stay safe. Right. So like being away and, and understanding symptoms and things like that. But I also think that there's so much we've learned over the past 18 months. Yeah. Um, we've learned the importance of having the antibodies and maybe having it in the form of a vaccine for certain people or, you know, just having the antigens that, you you know, you just kind of learn how to be safe with it. Mm. So like I figured we would just kind of learn how to deal with it. I don't think it's, I don't think it'll ever be over. So I think we're just going to have to figure out as a society. So you don't think it's going to just kind of end and then be a common cold type of flu situation or do you but think that's, that's what it's that's be? learning to adapt with it right yeah like the common cold was once holy moly this is the common yeah cold. The, i think everyone forgets that the flu like wiped out 50 million people <laughs> right so like i don't want to take that I, vaccine i don't need the flu like we're, I, you could survive off that but it was literally the same thing only worse and now people get the flu shot yeah. so you know we've all, all learned how to deal with this so yeah yeah it's, it's such an interesting time but um you know, I, I want to give your opportunity to, I guess, just let everyone know, you know, because I, I know a lot of referees, including John Grice, he, he, he listens to this thing. So I, I would want to give you the opportunity to just talk about your origins. Where did you grow up? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school, high school and in college? Um, basketball was always a thing that I grew up on, um, was a huge, you know, concrete rat. I grew up in Queens, so I, I always played on, you know, at the parks and things like that. I moved out to Long Island and in high school, where the first time I kind of learned about structured basketball was always street ball. And then, you know, it was like, well, let's, let's play a zone. Like what, what, you know, what's a zone, you know? So just, but I played for, um, Freddie Grasso, who was, uh, Jared Grasso's father. So he was the first coach that I had in Jericho. And then I played a little bit for Wally Backman and had the fortune of having some pretty good coaches that taught me the way, you know, I ended up going to St. John's university, um, where, Basketball is, uh, you know, basketball is king at St. John's. So, you know, going to a lot of games kind of fueled what I wanted to do. Um, So I got a a sports management degree, ended up at five-star basketball camp. Um, Not many know about five-star basketball camp, but it was one of the first camps that was like, it was before the whole AAU scene in the sense that you would go to this camp and it was a showcase camp and it would happen in, Honesdale, Pennsylvania, you know, like LeBron and, and Michael and, and all the major names, Durant, Steph Curry, they've all gone through five-star camps. So um, was around some great minds there, a lot of college coaching minds, and, you know, you build your network and things like that. 
Uh, and as time progresses, you know, it's, uh, it's all about who you know and your network and who you've um, managed to impress along the way and done things with and collaborations with that one day end up in a position that are like, yo, you want to come help me out and build this thing with me? And then, you know, you learn from that person on how to build it. And then, you know, I was at New York Tech for uh, for a season with Rob Ismay, who was with Sal Logano. And then I ended up at Queens with Matt Collier, who was with um, John Calipari. So, you know, you like you absorb whatever comes down from the tree as far as um, as far as the coaching, the coaching ranks are concerned. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we got to go about it. We're ready to go. You know, we're ready to roll with the season. How did you um, how did you double down on coaching? Because I guess when you're playing, you, you had a deep sense of that you wanted to coach because it's so different than playing. You know, like for me, I used to coach basketball. I used to coach the girls team at Kellenberg, the JV team. But it felt so long and I felt like I wasn't being myself. I was yelling. It just wasn't for me. So, you know, years later, I found refing. But I felt like volleyball was a good medium for me because it was a lot shorter. You don't really got to yell as much. You don't yell at the refs. It's not as adversarial as it is in basketball. But, you know, what, what got you into coaching and then ultimately stopped playing basketball? I, I mean, I always thought the game better than I played it. I wasn't a great athlete, right? So um, just when I was at Five Star, that's when I kind of got the fever for it because, you know, you'd have those, like, late night, chop shop talks you know um going late into the night having a couple drinks talking about experiences with this player or that player and how we went about doing it and you kind of just you know you go about doing the experience i don't think you get into coaching and you're like oh i'm really good at this let me let, let me continue you know i think it's just something that over time um i learned more about myself i i was definitely that guy i mean some would say i'm still the guy that screams and yells at people at coach at uh at officials but you know i used to look at myself on film and be like embarrassed about what i saw mm. so you know like i said earlier about you know never really being satisfied i'm the, i'm never really satisfied with where i'm at personally so it's another curse of being competitive you know i'm try I'm constantly looking at and evaluating all right how can i improve this how can I be better tomorrow than I was today to be a, a cliche? You mm. know? So that's great, man. And just that transition from going from college to high school. I know that so many times I've had opportunities to get to the collegiate level for volleyball, but I always felt like I was best served at the high school level only because I've helped so many girls get into college. And I just feel like at that age, you could really impress upon them to make good decisions moving forward. How was that transition like for you going kind of backwards? going to a younger level. Yeah. Well, I started in high school. So when going from high school to college, I got the comparison and I did feel that, that I did have more of a, a thumbprint on the high school kid. So, you know, just in a, in a, in a point in my life where I was evaluating things, I was like, you know, an opportunity came up and um, my, my first, my firstborn was about to be um, in the world. So, you know, I was like, I don't have time for this. Um, it was, Ralph. I mean, f I was waking up at 4 a.m. Um, I'd go to I'd go to Queens College. We'd you know make sure everything was set up, sweep the floor, make sure the clock set up, everything equipment's right. Six o'clock to eight practice. Then I'm going ten to three to my day job. You know you know teaching and things like that. And then after that, from 
you know, three to four, if I'm fortunate, I can grab a slice of pizza driving over to my next spot where I've got to coach, you know, a fourth grade AAU team from fifth, five to seven, and then uh, a sixth grade team from seven to nine. And then you get home, it's like 10 o'clock, you got to go to sleep and you're up at 4 a.m. to do it again. Wow. There's a lot, right? Especially with having a kid and talking about what I said about balancing, being able right. to be there for him. Uh, it was important for me to, you know, do that. Yeah. That, yeah. Was, a, that was the step that was necessary. I feel the same way. Like, I feel like I don't even want to ref in the city anymore. I yeah. just want to stay home and, you know, even though the games aren't as good, I know that there's like, you know, head in parking. I'll get home at a reasonable hour. I don't have to go to the Bronx and then get home at 10 o'clock. You're right. And then do it all over again. So that's good that you have that perspective and balance them. You know, when we talked about it before, it took me 11 years to, to finally break through and, and, you know, get to the championship and start to feel like the dynasty was coming. I think one of the big changes, aside from just like hanging in there and staying around and just being resilient of sticking to the path, is that I think that year specifically, we really established what our philosophy is as a program. And I think that once we started identifying that and then writing it on paper and then giving it to a, a athlete that we were going to have, I think that really paid dividends, right? So I'll even say right now, one of our general core philosophies is that we want somebody like you to come into the gym, whether you know a lot about volleyball or not, just to say like, we're playing for the love of the game. We're playing as if there's no score. Kind of like how Russell Westbrook plays, you know? Whether they're down by four or they're up by 40, he's still going 100%. That's how I want to be perceived, you know, outside looking in. Even if you don't know anything about volleyball, if you can, what is your philosophy in coaching um, right now as it's, as it's constructed? Yeah, no, that's a good one. That's a good one, having them just... Um, the biggest thing for me is having the type of relationship where a player could... You know, give me a call back in 10 years or so and say, hey, hey, coach, how's it going? Can I stop by practice? You know, I think um, in life along the way, you meet a lot of good people, you know, meet these kids and eventually they grow up and become, you know, functioning citizens in society and, and friends and you see their families blossom and things like that. So um, a lot of a lot of it for me is is the relationship part of it and, and uh, you know, figuring out the best way to make all those personalities ultimately achieve a goal together, mm. right? Like it's that's hard. You yeah. have basketball. How many volleyball is about fifteen on a roster too? We got eighteen this year. Okay. So, eighteen personalities. That it's a lot. You got it. And, and like, the girls and the, and <laughs> the better ones are mad at, or the worst ones are mad at the better ones because oh, yeah. they're getting more time, and then it becomes, you know. So just figuring out. And um, you mentioned Blackford and. Um, Coach uh, Smith and Coach Paul Bonagero. I mean, I got a lot of good coaches on my staff that I go to that kind of help me, you know, manage all that and mm. take a little bit of input from everybody and figure out the best way to do it. I know you have a very strong staff, but I know that you have been part of a lot of strong staffs yourself, supporting head coaches and then also ultimately being a head coach yourself. I want to give you the opportunity to just mention any mentors that you have, what they've done for you, and you know, now looking where you are now in a position to help other people influence other people and to really put them on the path of maybe they want to start their own coaching journey. Um, what advice would you give somebody trying to uh, replicate the success that you've had? Um, yeah, as far as a role model, you know, I, yes, co coaches, of course, you look up to um, guys that where I was at a five star. Um, I think ultimately it's got to be a lot closer to home for somebody, for people, as far as somebody to look up to somebody that instills work ethic and values. And for me, that would be my father that would instill, have instilled all of that. Um, so 
with with that being said, the advice I would give is like that 4 a.m. to 10 p.m. schedule might be one that you have to put up with if this is what you want to do, mm. right? And this is a great thing to do, like interacting with, you know, guys like you and being on the court and coaching kids and leading a program and building a program. It's a great position to be in. I love, I love what I do, but it didn't, I def, definitely didn't come easy. Um, the more you rise through the ranks, the more people kind of, you know, take aim at you. So you've got to learn how to deal with that. Um, you know, my philosophy is always just like, my dad would always say, treat the janitor the same as the CEO. It doesn't matter. Just be yourself. So, you know, when you go about meeting the head coach or an assistant coach who one day became a head coach and then that guy, like you guys struck up a great relationship, you know, cracking a beer one night, you know, that that little moment could lead to something really big in your life. So mm. you got to just don't sit at home. Don't sit on your hands. It won't come to you. You got to go out. In order to build a program, you got to go out. In order to accomplish anything, you got to go out. Whatever you put into it is what you'll get out of it. Mm, that's good advice, man. That's really good advice. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy to just think like you get to the point where you're in a position like, you know, I remember when I started coaching, dude, I was like 19 years old. Like I liked the girls on my team because I just went to school with them, right? <laughs> I just dated one of their friends. So it has definitely changed over the years from when I started in the year 2000 to now the 2021 season, just from your time of coaching from the beginning all the way to now, I'm sure there's a lot of changes with how you, uh, I guess, approach the kids. What do you think those changes are? What are those challenges that, that present to you just uh, trying to coach like today's kids, especially with the internet involved? Dude, they all, for some reason, like, oh, don't get in coach's car. He's going to listen to Nas the whole way. <laughs> like, what's wrong with that? Like, that's my adjustment. I'm like, yo, like, I'm not listening to Certified Lover Boy on the way to a game. It's you. not hyping us up. What are we doing? So a lot of that stuff is part of it. But um, I don't know. You know, over the course of time, I, I would like to think that I've gained some knowledge, some life experience that I could now that I've had the next generation and the next generation of kid that I can impose some sort of wisdom upon somebody that would help guide them in life to do mm. what they want to do. Mm. So uh, I would hope I'd have that influence. Yeah. I, I love telling my kids the tall tales, especially this year. It's like so distinct. I'm like, yeah, we didn't have internet. Like yeah. we just, we just did. I didn't have internet until like my junior year. Yeah. And the, the internet that I had was like, you know, dial up. But it's great too, because now we get like huddle, right? Like things like crazy. that, where we can break down what teams do against what yeah. defenses and, and we can show it to these kids so they can actually like, so many times I'm in a game and I'm like, you, you didn't, you didn't guard that screen properly. Oh, yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Let's, okay. let's, let's press that five second right, back button. Cool. Tomorrow, let's sit down and watch <laughs> it. All right. I, I bet you a soda that I'm right. And we, you know, inevitably you go and you go look at film. So, I mean, technology is really enhanced and helped our jobs a lot of ways. Mm. Um, you know, you just look at something like, a, like the transfer portal and the NCAAs right now. I mean, there's like, that's changed the high school coaches job as well, because now the college coach is looking more so at the first year or second year JUCO transfer or something like that, rather than what used to be really important was the the kid going from his junior year into his senior year of high school, right? That used to be really big, but now it's like most kids at that level are like, well, I'm okay. Now I'm going to do, go do a prep year too. Um, and then, you know, I've already reclassed. So now 
you're going in. But a lot of the times, I feel like it's just to level the, the playing field. But it affects how we do our jobs, ultimately. Because I, I, I'd like to think the other coaches in uh, that my constituents are doing the same thing, where we reach out to a lot of college coaches. We're like, hey, here's film. Take a look at my guard. Um, it's affected it, and I don't know if they do that as much anymore. Mm. I don't know if it's much as like, all right, cool. It's like when the freshman used to contact the college coach. And right, be like, right, 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 right. Like, that's right. kind of how it is now. Yeah, I, and I'll say that, that that seems to me like that's been a positive benefit of the pandemic of, I remember when the Catholic League was going and all the schools were streaming it, yeah. you know, I would tune in and go, okay, Holy Trinity is playing uh, St. Anthony's. I'm like, oh, look who's on the game. Look who got that game. Like, you see Kaz running back and forth. I'm like, look at this guy. Didn't I text you? I think I texted Probably. you. Probably. I texted you one night after St. Mary's game that I was scouting. I was watching it. But that you're right. Like, I had on my phone, I had Trinity Chaminade. On my computer, I had, you know, Dom's It was, cool. It was cool. It was great. I mean, it, it really eliminates lie, it all the things that, that you need to do because normally, and I'm talking about when I first started coaching, we didn't even have, like, video, so... Uh, it, it, it would be it like changed, a tall yeah. tale. It'd be yeah. like, you know, you'd be cool with another coach and maybe if, they, would, film, if right. they were detailed enough, they could tell you what they would do. But still, it was in yeah. theory. Yeah. It would right. say number nine does this and then you'd have to see it for yourself. But now it's like, oh, okay, press play. Re wait, wait, what is that? Rewind? Yeah, Let me crazy. rewind that. And, you know, it's like, again, you know, you hear like family members or whatever. My, my wife specifically is like, well, you're, you're always watching basketball. Why are you? I'm like, would you rather me be there? Because the other alternative was I'd have to choose one of these games right. to go to and then probably wait, see if there, I could time it out properly and go catch the second half of mm -hmm. the other game, you know. But now I could just, in the comfort of my living room, you know. But does that change your habits moving forward? Like, do you think that when everything kind of goes back to normal, you're going to want to be in the building or, or you like having the option of doing either? I like maximizing my time. So if I can watch three games at one time. You can somehow figure out in this matrix of life how to make that work where I could sit in a, and have three games going live. Other than that, no, I, I think I'm going to stick to the to the computer. Yeah. It's easier. Yeah. Because then I can still go about, and guess what? I just consolidated time. I can now spend some time with my kid, too. Mm -hmm. I could have dinner. I could do whatever, you know? So time is valuable. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate our relationship, you know, just even just being with a school that I don't really, you know, I'm a Kellenberg guy, so you, you do understand why I feel the way I feel, but you know, I, I do remember three weeks ago when when I was refing you, I was like, this guy's acting like he don't know me. But then you get back, you're like, no, nah, no, nah, but you're passionate. And, you know, as a referee, I always appreciate somebody that is really into it because I know how much time you put in. And I think that's my competitive advantage because I'm a coach, too. I understand how many hours you put into preparing, talking to these kids and hopefully getting to the point. And we know that this is not real school ball. But still, you want them to compete. You want them to show you something, right? You're the head coach. Like, you want to see them have something. But, you know, going back to what I was saying with the refs, just talk about your relationship with referees. And um, would you ever ref yourself? No, no, I could, could never. I could never. Um, my skin's way too thin for it. Um, I, don't, I really don't know how you guys do it, to be honest with you. I it's not that bad. It's, oh, it's funny. Oh, my God. It's no. very funny. How? How it's, like, fu it's some funny. Some of the ignorant things you hear, and then they become personal a lot of times. Like, I know. how is that it's funny? funny? No. It, it's funny because it's like that's really how you feel. Like that's that's not how I feel. But okay, that's cool. You but got also, bigger skin than me, man. Also, at the same time, once you once you get, it's the same thing with coaching. Once people start knowing your name, yeah, it doesn't get as crazy. Right. You know, we could we could talk to them 
Yeah. No, I mean, look, the parents, I think, have, have become a little overbearing. Um, for, my relationships with refs has definitely evolved. Um, a lot of times when I have to pick, you have to pick your spots. You have to feel the vibe of your team. Like, that specific game you were talking about wasn't more so that I felt that, like, I know what you're talking about. I, my team was coming to me and, like, complaining. Mm. It almost seemed like they needed my support a lot at that time. And I respect that. And I felt that because some of the kids, they weren't explaining to me correctly. And I feel like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a, a specific ref where I played before. Yeah. I know what you're trying to do. I know the tricks that you're trying to do that I'm allowing, which to me makes everything even. So when somebody's complaining when something specifically happens to them and they feel like I've wronged them, like you're getting away with so many different things. So you either want me to call it very tight where nothing's going to get through or I could play loose like this and let it play through. And I think that's really real life, like because, you know, in a real game, you don't want your best player getting two quick fouls. Right, you don't want them complaining because it's, it's it's a different ball game now. Now we're talking about technical fouls. Here I'm, I'm trying to educate you like this is not how you behave. Right. So I do feel that that you were supporting, but go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I mean, in in situ in some situations, you feel like they need your back, and even if it's just for show, sometimes you have to kind of get boisterous. It's mm -hmm. like I'm gonna eat this tech right now, and you guys are gonna know f that maybe we'll lose two points right now. But maybe we'll gain two wins because of this, because you guys will know that I have your back no matter what. And you guys don't mess with him. You don't agree with him. Let's go to war with him. Mm. You know, that's kind of not that, that I'd like that philosophy with referees, but I'd like my kids knowing that they're like, we're going into battle. And it's, it's them five against everything, all mm. the elements, the crowd, possibly bad officiating, mistakes by your teammates, mistakes by me, mistakes that other people other players on the court might do to you. But I think like, the, I heard his Frank Martin clip one time and I'm like, <laughs> it changed my, completely changed my philosophy. Cause he's like, I'm watching my son, Frank Martin, the, the head coach of South Carolina. He's like, I'm watching my son who's being coached by a volunteer father. Who's basic, who, who knows a fraction of what I know. Um, and there's two refs making about 40 bucks a game. Like, do you really think is that personal? you really think like this guy woke up today and was like, I'm going to get this 14 year old. I'm going to get I'm Frank get Martin's him. son. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. Like you got to be a real miserable person to do yeah. something like that. And I don't think you pursue um, that field if you do. And if you do, I think you get weeded out very quickly. Yeah. Right. Only the really good guys rise. But, you know, you, you kind of realize, I think I realized as, as a coach after a while, communication is the best way. So like, yeah, you're competitive and you're in a game and the sense of like the competition is heightened. So maybe the conversation is more like, why was that? But it's, I still try to make it a conversation, right? It's not, when you get into like, are you blind? Like mm. that's different, right? I am blind. Like that, that, I have my contacts in. <laughs> that's what I normally say. Um, I, I pulled one one time. I said, are, are you wearing green underwear, too? Because we happen to be playing a green team. Oh, oh that God. wasn't a good one. Why would you say such yeah, a thing? I wasn't getting anything. <laughs> I wasn't getting anything. I wasn't getting anything. I do appreciate that. Actually, one of my administrators said, I'm glad you took one for your team there. Wow. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, over, over time, you realize, like, we're all refs are part of the game. It's good to have good relationships with good people. It doesn't matter who they are. And, um, you know, um, 
happy that my relationships have evolved with refs over time. Yeah, and listen, if, if any of your players listen to this, I just want to convey that I love the same game that they do. I just choose not to coach, and I choose to stay and in being involved with it. Unfortunately, mine is perceived as, my title in the game is perceived as a police officer. And I think the difference between, you know, refing and, and, and being a police officer is that if somebody gets shot, you're not blaming the police officer for the person that shot the person. I feel that that's always the case. It's like, he fouled me, but I'm going to be mad at the ref. Why, don't you, why aren't you mad at him? Don't you want to speak to him first? Well, my, our guy, Carl Small, once said like at a clinic, and I was like, oh, wow, that's a, I like that one. He said, raise your hand if you're going to make every shot. So no, a, a couple of wise guys, right? But besides that, so he said, all right, good. Because I'm not going to make every call. Mm. And I was like, you know what? So true. I appreciate the fact that you're accepting that you might miss a call. You might make a mistake. It's okay. But don't, yeah. please don't come to me on your high horse and say no matter what you saw is what it is. And yeah. you're not going to look out for it because that's what you see. That's what bothers me. Yeah. I like when I can have the dialogue. You yeah. got to have. And the, the Catholic League is great because you got three refs. That's, I mean, that. To somebody that doesn't understand what a big addition that is to the game, doesn't really understand the game. Yeah. And the fact that they rotate constantly and are seeing different angles. Because, like, you could be, and you get this at a lot of, like, out, you know, the, the leagues that you plug into, spring leagues and fall leagues, you'll get a guy that's on the baseline and a guy that's at the top, and that's where they're going to remain the whole game. So when offense is on one side, he may be calling it his way, and when offense is on the other side, he's calling it the other way for the other team because that's just the way he sees it. But now if you guys were to switch every few minutes, all right, we're getting the even calls, right? Yeah. So that's just, that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, this ref is lazy or <laughs> this ref sucks, you know? Um, but for the most part, like where I'm at coaching now, you don't get that a lot. You get a lot of good referees. No, and, and that's like the, the fruits of your labor. You realize like, especially me, like coming up and I'm sure Carl can shout out to Carl Small, one of my mentors. Um, you realize like a little bit later in your refing career, you do so many two-person games, right? Then like, I remember the first time I saw one of those Catholic league games, not as a spectator, but just more like, let's look at the refs. I'm like, cause I would always use it as a gauge. Like I'm not ready for this. I don't even know how to do this three-person rotation. But then, you know, eventually after you watch it, you're like, okay, maybe I can get a part of it. And then eventually you get your shot. So it's kind of like, um, it's a reward for sticking in there, yeah. right? Even coaching, because beginning, you're doing a whole bunch of waking up at 4 a.m., you know, coaching 12-year-olds. Then eventually you start getting to the point where you're doing things that it was all worth it, right? It was all worth it. But, you know, one, one thing that I want to impart to any of the kids that you coach, just remember, our, our gauge of us doing successful, imagine me shooting 100 free throws and I got to get 98 right. Like, I got I to hit 98, yeah. There's no way in hell that you're going to have that type of percentage right. of success, right? Because right. if you shoot 10 shots and you make three, you're a successful basketball player. Right. If I make seven mistakes in one game, oh, I'm a terrible ref. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a terrible ref if I make one mistake yeah. out of 10. But just like, you know, like I talked about earlier, I, I, I would hope that refs go and watch film and say like, oh, I messed up there. This is how I could fix it. And this is something that I could mm -hmm. correct. Um, I, something that really bothers me about some refs is that sometimes they take it personally and mm. it carries over. Yeah. Like I've had refs come up to me 
like in 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 Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or something, and being like, "You got to tell your kid not to." I'm like, "Yo, we're not even in a game. Like, how <laughs> how do you know that that's the mood he's gonna be in that day? Maybe he was that day, but you can't let that carry over." And yeah, right. I get kids develop reputations, and I get that you know you'll talk to your referee colleagues and being like, "Well, watch out for him doing this a lot because this is what he does." I get that, but. I, sometimes Not like call a technical foul when number three is going to pop off because you know he's going to pop off. That type of thing. That's a, to me, that's acceptable. Yeah? That, yes. Because if you have got, if you've had three games in a row where you got hit with a T and the next one you're still mouthing off at a ref, I tell my kids all the time, you guys talk. You guys go in those locker rooms together, the three of you, and then you have a different three-man crew and a different three-man crew. So you guys are constantly talking about it. If he was, a, if he's con- habitually being a jerk, I, I think I think it's warranted. Mm. Um, where I don't agree with it is if you perceive a certain kid playing. Like I don't want to get too technical, but like how they take a charge, for example, and it like. The way that it's called constantly changes based on a specific kid. That's what gets to me mm. a lot. I hope that doesn't happen too often to you. Like I said, not not yeah. in the Catholic League now, you would hope. There are a couple guys that I think um, are stuck in their ways. Um, maybe have been, uh, everything needs a refresher. Listen, but as a coach, <laughs> as a coach, you know you can't control that. Because I, I, I find, listen, the referees that I have in my volleyball games, they were old when I played, yeah. and I played a very long time yeah. ago, and there's no switch up at all. Yeah. I don't know because it has That's nothing not to do good. with basketball, but it's like you got to roll with it. You yeah. got to roll with it. There's, none, there's nothing that I'm going to say, and, and especially like now that I am a ref. I understand they're not going to change. So it is what it is. You're going to have to play through it. We've all got to hold ourselves to a higher value too, though. We've all had to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Yeah. Like the assigners, you, gotta, you, gotta, you can't have – I'm sorry to sound this way, but you can't have like an overweight guy who's not getting up the court refing a game. It's not fair to yeah. the kids. Yeah, I feel like all that stuff is kind of getting weeded out because of the pandemic, though. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. There came to a point where the refereeing market was very diluted. The coaching market was very diluted. The player market was very diluted, right? So you think now it's scaled back because of... Everything that's happening. As you get older, it scales back because yeah. you realize that maybe basketball is not my sport. Right. Um, and, you know, once as you get older, you would theoretically be playing in higher leagues, right. right? So that's when the better guys are weeded out. So, yes, I think the higher you go. But I think if you look at a lot of lower-level stuff, you have bad coaching, you have well, bad refing, yeah. and you have bad playing. Right, right, but right. But that's what comes with being a very popular sport. Basketball is very popular, right, yeah. across the world. So everybody wants a piece. Everybody wants to play. Mm. And I don't, you know, don't discourage it. People develop at different times I you know fourth grader might not be so good now he yeah might be a well great listen seventh grader. I used to be a terrible ref doing CYO games I had no idea what I was doing I didn't know that I was gonna want to do it for real like I just you know what I'm saying like I think it took I had a conversation with Carl first because I think it was he kind of had like a year and a half head start of like I want to take it serious so I was like oh look he's doing it serious and now he's getting these games like I kind of aspired to that I didn't know that that you know like in the beginning when you're refing you're not thinking of it that way you're thinking of it as like Island Gardens five minutes from my house. I can make some money. And that's it. I, I was really thinking of it from a purely financial standpoint. I wasn't thinking of it as a craft, something to get good at, mm-hmm. to aspire to do good games. So right. that also evolves over time. But, you know, after everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as the head coach 
of a of a varsity basketball team? A lot of things. Persistence. Um, yeah, willing to stick through fights. You're gonna get through. You're gonna have some muddy, choppy waters. You got to be willing to stick through it, um, and know that those aren't the last ones. Um, you got to work very hard. You got to work very hard um, to achieve what you want to achieve, whatever it is, man. Like, you want to be a good ball player, you got to practice a lot. You want to mm. be a good coach, you got to go home and watch film. And, I mean, that to me, that was the biggest uh, form of knowledge, just watching film constantly, watching other coaches, uh, coaches' clinics, things like that. So, you know, go to all that stuff. Be available. That's the best way to um, to advance your career, especially if – if you're kind of, you know, young and solo and don't have the, um, you know, family thing going on, um, definitely put in a lot of time to your craft. What do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go? Uh, I don't know. I don't like to think that way. I like where I'm at. Um, I'm going to focus on today, making sure we, we get through. And it's definitely one thing you've learned over the past 18 months, right? Just appreciating the day and... Um, <laughs> You know, got to figure out where how to get my kids to, to tomorrow and better tomorrow. That's yeah. It. Yeah. I was going to say, um, I want to say six years ago, we had this girl who I, I told her she was in eighth grade. I said, by the time you become a senior, I'm leaving because, you know, eventually you get to the point where it's like, wow, I'm here year 15. Like it and it blurs. You know, sometimes I'm just like, wow, I can't believe this girl that I used to coach is now like 32 years old and has like a family. It's like it's so strange. Um, I, to, I told her because I just like, you know what, I'm just going to have a break when she, when she leaves. Yeah, she left six years ago. So I have just like, there's no parameters because, you know, when you're feeling it and you're feeling in pocket and, and you're doing good things, it's like, why would you want to stop? I think if you set a goal, that's, just, that's like, I, like an end goal. That's like the beginning of the end. Yeah. Mean, how can you do that? Yeah. You're checked out already because yeah. you're already aspiring to finish. Right. Like I can't even imagine finishing. Like, no. Uh, I'm already like, no. I've got to, I know what phone calls I have to make driving home. And like, I mm -hmm. know you just, you can't. Yeah, listen, I, I told oil, you man. I told you before, you see all the chips in the back. I'm even missing some. Yo, this is the third time he's rubbed <laughs> that in, by the way, all the chips in the back. It's, it's, a, it's a different sport, so I, I can do that. But, you know, even, even this year, we're even more motivated only because of how it ended last season. And on top of, this is literally the best team I've ever seen. And I know that's hard for a lot of my friends outside looking in to say, like, okay, it's your best team. You won the championship last year. You won the championship the year before that. But just like we said, like, we just have a constant pursuit of, it's like an endless goal that's never going to end. Yeah, you, you know? got to, you got to also you live up to your own bar, right? If you set your own bar, you got to live up to that mm. bar. So if you're going to win championship, championship, that's the bar now, right? Yeah. I think short of that is like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be, and I don't want to say it's going to be a failure because it'll still be a great experience, but we always aspire to win the championship. I don't, I don't expect anything less. And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing you grow into that feeling of saying like, like knowing exactly what to do because there's one thing to aspire it and it, you know there's nothing like that chase right. to get the first one there's there's nothing like I that i can't imagine but i'm sure man i'm sure i'm hoping to experience it, yeah, it's, it, it's it a soon. different it's a different type of thing when you know what the beats are you right. know like right. i could even think of the saint mary's coach on the girl side he knows what the beats are yeah. he knows where his team needs to be at, yeah. at certain times yeah. his name is kevin um yeah. but um you also like it, it also validates things that you do right yeah. when you it's like okay I've done it right. You know, I did it right to get to that part. So, like, I know I have the the, the fibers, the foundation of, of building off of that and whatever adjustments need to be made from there, you know. Right. Yeah, if you can pinpoint, what do you think is um, 
your stickiest situation that you've ever had as a basketball coach thus far? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. You know, uh, jo John Wooden had the, one of the best quotes I've ever heard. Um, he said, in my next life, and I hope nobody takes this the wrong way because I do have some great parents, but John Wooden said, in my next life, I'm coaching at an orphanage, right? I don't want to deal with these parents anymore. Mm. So, you know, it's, uh, it gets sticky sometimes because, you, you know, in the eyes of, uh, of a parent, their child does no wrong, right? But you sometimes have to yell at these kids and do things. So um, that's always sticky. It's always sticky um, figuring out the language of how to coach a kid, which a lot of times gets perceived as like you're attacking me in this, like we talked about, sensitive world. But it's, you know, navigating that is probably the hardest part of coaching right now. Yeah, it gets a lot easier when you win a championship because there's, there's, sure. there's absolutely yeah. nothing you could say I'm to sure. me that, especially when you win multiple championships, it's like you came to this school for your daughter to play right. volleyball. Right. Right. So there's, there's nothing. You be the parent and you let us coach and then, you know, we'll yeah. all have a nice day after that. I feel that way about a lot of the coaches in my conference. Like they, they have done it already. They like Sal Logano has mm -hmm. done it. Bobby Paul, Joe, Joe Confrey, they've done it. So people will want to go there. I have to, St. John the Baptist has not always been like considered a basketball yeah. school. So, Intermittently, they've been, they've been successful. Yeah, Intermittently. they've had their spots. Yeah, but now it's like the overall perception. So, you know, it's a lot of it is going out there and trying to change the perception. The only way to change it is to like constantly be in people's faces, constantly be talking to them, constantly be bigging up your program. And then, by the way, performing on it, too. You can't just talk. You got to go out there and play. You know, now I'm getting to a point where, you know, I'm getting some some uh, notable websites and coaches starting to reach out to me like, oh, I hear you guys are going to be good. I hear. So it's a, it's a different position that I'm in this year, which I'm looking forward to to taking on. Like we, we might actually have a pretty good team this year. Yeah. You, you've been saying that many years now. <laughs> no, that's that. No, I, your, your team is good. I mean, I, I just ref them. So that's that's the core, isn't it? That's that most most. Yeah. Of them, yeah. So yeah, you, you guys, I mean, guys. I'm sure that you were missing some guys. Yeah, so just yeah. right then and there, like, yeah. And and the court was super slippery. So the oh fact that they were God. playing through that, yeah. I was yeah. I was shocked because I was wearing brand new sneakers and I was slipping. Yeah, I was like, I was oh, this is about this is not good. But I'm happy we got <laughs> the, through the that. The beauties but. of running a, a basketball event, man. The stuff that you'd never consider. Mm. Wet, wet floors. So um, if you can pinpoint thus far, what is your best moment thus far as a uh, as a coach? Um, I think I think uh, getting getting the head coaching job at St. John the Baptist was probably. Um, like the high point, but then, you know, like that becomes the new, like I've reached the plateau. Now you got to walk that plateau. So getting that position, cause I, I heard some of the people that I had applied for it and you know, when it's down to like, Oh yeah, we're down to a couple candidates. I'm like, Oh, and I find out who I'm like, oh, it's really great that I'm in this group of guys being mm. considered for, and then uh, it's down to the final two. You're one of them. And it's like, me and him really and i'm gonna give you the job you know and it was like wow you know it's uh, like you don't think of yourself like that right you like you got you got it's like the same thing with me you know same thing with me i don't i don't think of myself as the way i am you know what i'm saying and it's funny because i have this philosophy that that you you present yourself the opposite of what you really are like you try to overcompensate for the things that like like somebody who's really shy 
will go out and try to crack a lot of jokes to to try to overcompensate. You're saying for I'm that. shy? Yeah, extremely. <laughs> Me too. Um, but my AD after I got the job, he goes, "Did you doubt it at any point?" Mm. And I said. I thought you were calling me to tell me that you gave the job to the other guy. He goes, because you- you're also so used to that crushing phone call of saying like I was this close to getting the job too, right? <laughs> Which has happened to me, right? Yeah. That's definitely. I mean, you have to go through inter. You asked about like what what to do. Go go to interviews. That's very important. Even like, if you're not interested in the job, right, with the experience, right. you've right. got to learn the questions they're gonna ask. Because yeah. like I made note of that, and the next time I was asked, I was like, I didn't answer that as well mm. as I wanted to the first time. I'm gonna change it this time. But my AD was like, you seemed like so confident about knowing the fact that you're going to get this job. So I was like, that must have been like my (laughs) defense to it, because I really like up until when I was hearing the names and then you tell me that I got the job. I'm like over those guys. Like, I can't believe that, you know, and being uh, relatively young in my basketball coaching career, especially in comparison to the guys. Oh man, I didn't. I hope I didn't just insult the ages of every Catholic coach uh, in my conference. But but, um, you know, I'm. relatively young in comparison yeah, yeah. to those, those I feel legends, the same way legends. as a referee I feel the same exact way but you know at the same time I, I you, you know you mentioned John Grice all those referees I looked up to all of those guys man and you know when you go in your association in the beginning you don't know any of them I'm in the back of the meeting nobody knows me and eventually they know your name then eventually they become your peer so it's like a weird thing and you know that whole transition but you know my final question to you is you know had it not been for this round orange ball that bounces up and down that goes in this little rim. If it wasn't for that sport, you and I wouldn't be sitting on this podcast right now talking shop about the game that we love. You know, I know that you pour your heart and soul to it. You've built a business, you coach and, and you run through so many kids. It means so much to you. I, I know it gives you balance in your life. Um, you come from such a passionate place. What does basketball mean to you? What is it given to you in your life? Basketball is probably my first true love, right? As a, as a as a child, you have like your your puppy, your your parents, and like starting to watch TV. I was like always watching basketball, so it's always been a part of my life. It's so basketball has always been very big for me. But I think um, you could look at anything you do in life. You know, if had I made the right turn instead of the left turn, would would life circumstances be different right now? So I don't know. I just think that basket the, the roads have led me to the round ball. It's not necessarily that, like, I always loved basketball, right? I also loved baseball, but, like, the channels just led you there, right? Mm. The, the the stars aligned for you to go that way. Um, and then the experiences you had along the way validated it or invalidated it where you decide what you're going to keep doing. So um, to to this point, it's, it's, you know, for me, it's family is very important. Um, and, and the sport of basketball, I really like, there's a lot of energy that I attribute to it, which means that when I get something out of it, it's satisfactory. Um, and it gives me a certain feeling right in life. You accomplish anything. You're a carpenter, you're a plumber, you, you, you fix that thing or you accomplish that. You're going to feel a sense of euphoria. It's natural. So, um, yeah, I think that, that all of that has driven me to really love basketball yeah listen i was i was gonna say continued success in all the things you do you too um, brother I last love, love la- the podcast man i appreciate that man last thing i'll say for you is continue that deep work you know i think a lot of people don't necessarily say it in real time but just keep keep controlling the mission you know what i'm saying just keep being steadfast in the things that you think are right because eventually one day it'll break and it'll be you know kind of like a sudden thing because you go from 
hunting to all of a sudden being hunted very quickly. And, you know, I think the deep work that you do, you'll be ready for it when that moment comes. And I don't think that you're too far away from it. It might not be this year, but I know that at some point it's going to break for you. And, you know, hopefully many years to come, I'll, we'll be reffing, I'll be reffing, you'll be coaching, we'll go side by side. You could yell at me, and then after that we can, uh, you know, I, I need, some, love, I, I need some of that St. John's grit, man. We'll it's talk about love. that off here. Are you wear it? I wear it. If it's if it's you, I wear it. Big. Listen, that's big. Listen, we. It's basketball. No, I got I, to no, do I because I've cracked like a realm of friendship now that I know that you'll wear like a rivals. Sure, shirt. like that's like me. I won't wear Shamanad. Like that's like me wearing like a Reggie Miller shirt or something. Nah, like, I, I won't wear Shamanad. Look, if my friend is coaching, I mean, I'm okay. we're cool with that. I respect it. Because you, you let's, swap, let's swap like soccer games. We'll swap. Okay, we'll you, swap some drip next you, time. You also know that like you're getting no like favoritism. Like that just doesn't. I don't know. Yeah. I, I expect no, I, you to I be worse on me. That's <laughs> what I expect because you're going to validate. Uh, we're, we'll be friends after. It's okay. I'll yeah, to yeah, yeah. I'll give him this bad call. So. And, then, and then real quick, what Nas album um, is your favorite? It was written. Come on. Yeah, it was, it was written. written. Yeah. That's my favorite one right there. Illmatic. Uh, I like that one too, of course. Yeah, that's the best one, man. Yeah, well, I don't know. No, I, I like that one as well. Nas, I'm a big Nas guy. Yeah, so. me too. But um, we'll wrap this up. We'll leave some more meat on the bones for part two, hopefully at the end of the season because I'm pretty sure that there'll be some times where I'm reffing you and like I said, continued success with Thank your you, season upcoming. For Appreciate Jake it. Ellis, Ralph the Ref, this is The Rant. We are signing out. Peace.